Ultra. Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are submerging in Disney's The Little Mermaid one minute at a time. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And I'm Kestra Dorowski. And today we are joined by our friend from a previous film, uh, Brad. Hey guys, how you doing? Uh, why don't you tell everyone where you come from in case they haven't already listened to your week on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs Minute. Yeah, it was a lot of fun being with you guys in the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs Minute, uh, and I'm especially thrilled to, to be joining you again uh, on a movie that I really, really love. Uh, you know, I, I obviously I appreciate uh, Snow White, but uh, The Little Mermaid is just such a great movie, and uh, came out when I was in high school and was uh, just it was so huge and everyone was so excited about this movie. So I'm really excited to be a part of it. Um, these are listeners who may not remember me from before. My name is Brad Mendenhall. I am the uh, host and co-founder of the cosmic Geppetto podcast, where we talk about pretty much everything pop culture. And I also recently completed, uh, with my partner, Ryan, uh, our, uh, our own minute by minute podcast, minute of darkness, where we talked about, uh, did a minute by minute breakdown of the, uh, B-movie, cult classic, Army of Darkness. So uh, I, I know how crazy minute-by-minute minute stuff is, and uh, you guys do a great job, and I had so much fun last time, I'm glad to be back. Well, we were happy that you were ready to volunteer to be on. Uh, we we kind of had short-notice volunteers for this first uh, round of volunteers, but we're, we're getting scheduled out farther ahead, which will be nice. Today, we are discussing minute number 11, which begins with Flounder pointing at a pipe and asking, what about that one? And it ends with two round bulbs that have images of Ariel and Flounder starting to merge together. Minute number 11 of The Little Mermaid features Scuttle telling Ariel and Flounder about the snarf blat, Ariel suddenly remembering the concert, and two eels spying on Ariel and Flounder swimming back to Atlantica. Yep. So that's the gist of minute 11. Uh, I'd say this is a comedy-heavy minute. Yes. Pretty much anything involving Buddy Hackett's comedy-heavy. He- <laughs> this is not a man uh, who was ever known for his, uh, you know, f- f- for the dark performance. The, you never. I don't remember ever hearing about the dark Buddy Hackett performances. Uh, he, he's a very funny guy, and um, it was funny. And Disney was very good about that with their animated films. Uh, finding those sort of actors who at one point may have been a big deal and had distinctive and had distinctive voices and pulling them into films to have that oh I sort of remember that voice obviously not a big star and this was an era where uh, I think it, this changed when you finally got to Aladdin where where they had Robin Williams at this point it was before you would have like the big stars voicing movies and really pushing those stars um so you know it's a bunch of people who you don't really know of and then there's Buddy Hackett yeah i i think that's a good description of how this sort of thing evolved um we we talked a little bit last week about this is sort of a a test run for what would become uh Robin Williams's role in, in in Aladdin as the genie, where they have a comedian well established, and they say, "Hey, come do this thing and try something different with us." And I I think maybe I, I it's it's hard for me to estimate because um, Robin Williams in Aladdin is probably the first place I knew Robin Williams from growing up, but 
I feel like that is a, a, also different because of how big a role that was. This is this is really a cameo uh, performance from Buddy Hackett as, as Scuttle. He's in a handful of scenes and doesn't have that many lines, whereas Robin Williams has a big song and a ton of lines throughout the movie and a lot of cutaways to him. I think this is a cameo role that I I, I really enjoy. Even though it's a cameo role, it's still like I I think of Little Mermaid, and one of the characters I I feature is, or, or I think of is Scuttle. Like he's yeah. not the, like the first character I think of, but he's one of the main characters I think of. I, I'd say that's certainly true. I, if you're thinking of kind of the protagonist team, you have Ariel, Flounder, Sebastian, and Scuttle. That's that is the their crew. Yes. Even if Sebastian and Scuttle don't share that many scenes. Right. But that's still the the crew you think of. I don't think you could have Scuttle and Sebastian really sharing any scenes because they're both the zany guys and you, they they work best off of straight men. And it's something that I sort of – you, you really realize it when – especially when you watch these minute by minute and you're trying to like pick it apart. Ariel's sort of boring, especially when she can talk. She becomes more interesting when – she loses her voice. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but she becomes more interesting when she can talk, and there's a lot of pantomime and a lot more uh, zaniness. And uh, so she works – so the other characters work well, but you couldn't – I don't think you could have Scuttle and Sebastian really bouncing off each other with a lot of success. Yeah, I, I think that's a good description, and I, I hadn't really thought about what that would be like. They As they orbit around Ariel – their performances work very well, but if they were orbiting around each other, it probably wouldn't work so well. And a- Ariel is the the focal point, even if she's not the most exciting or energetic or um, memorable character. Like if you try to pick out Ariel's characteristics, you get you know disobedient, um, curious, and some things like that. But when you pull out Scuttle and Sebastian, you have you know this huge performance coming from each of them. Right. Of these characters. And so Ariel, I guess, does work better as um, the object that they are around. No, definitely, definitely. And they're so fun. And, uh, you know, Scuttle was so zany. And this is a weird thing for a guy under the age of 60 to say. I was a Buddy Hackett fan. I always found him funny and loony. Um, I remember just seeing a lot of clips uh, of him being on late night shows. Uh, He was a favorite, even well past the point where his career was a major force. Johnny Carson would love to bring him on and he would always tell zany stories. And because he was so over the top and uh, not really a a site you see anymore, maybe a little bit of Jim Carrey has it, but Buddy Hackett would really, it it was crazy seeing a guest on a late night show do like a lot of physical shtick and he would do that. And uh, it, it was fun to see a character that did such a good job of sort of conveying that. Yeah. I, Outside of the the human-shaped characters, and, and that includes half-human-shaped characters uh, in this movie, you get some really, really zany uh, cartooning. And Scuttle is probably the prime example, but you get that with Flounder and Sebastian some as well. But like Ariel and, and those with human shapes don't tend to have as expressive bodies. Um, they're, they're more being expressed by their voice and some of the, the tricks that they're doing around the voice later on. Um, there's some stuff with Triton that I want to talk about with that, but 
for Scuttle, like his eyes are rolling in opposite directions throughout this scene. His his feathers are doing crazy things. He manages to to articulate a hand by his feathers on his on his wings, uh, which is is a common thing for cartoon birds, but it's not something you kind of expect when you look at the way um, Eric and the other humans are behaving in this world. They aren't going crazy except for maybe chef louis but that's later on um and he's the only one that even comes close ariel's face always looks like ariel's face and this kind of goes back to some of the stuff we got with with snow white we talked about how realistic they were animating the people for the most part and then the dwarfs were such a different kind of animation yeah definitely All, all, all the people in this movie look and behave like people and all of the all of the animals are cartoonish, which was really shown in the um, the uh, upcoming um, Under the Sea, where each of the fish have a very caricature-like design. Yeah, and it's I, – I don't understand how they make it work, but they make it work very well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Scuttle introduces us to the Snarfblatt in this – the the banded bulbous snarf black. I, I suppose there's different varieties. <laughs> and it, so he's he's like scooping it around in the water, and he tips it over, so it looks like it it would be cleaned out, um, which we learn later that it's not. But a fish falls out of it when he's like swirling it through the water. Yeah. Yeah, you feel bad. That's somebody's home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we and well, okay, so. He, you know, talks it up and then he blows into it and a bunch of seaweed and sand comes out. And was it doesn't it make any sense. It, some of it looks like bubbles. And or I was, foam, or just foam, seaweed and, and foam. And I was confused, like, how, And how did it get in there? Because it, it, was, there? it was just like, in a ship was all. Right, exactly. I don't know. Unless it was in his swirling, he caught some seaweed into it. But I thought he was cleaning it out. It doesn't seem likely. But he gives he gives he gives this full explanation the origin of the snarfblatt and he describes it as the origin of music basically. <laughs> Humans used to just stare, stare at each, each other, other and they got bored. <laughs> when did we used to stare at each other? That this, like what 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 goes on in Scuttle's brain? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> like what makes him think these things? Like with the Dinglehopper being this comb of sorts. And then with this being an instrument, what kind of instrument is he wanting it to be? And has he seen it been used as an instrument before? Or is he just thinking that when people are smoking the pipe, it's making music? And then I mean, obviously, he doesn't know what these things are actually for. And then when he's like, humans used to stare at each other all the time, got very boring. I'm like... <laughs> Were you there, Ben? Like, what? what's going on in your brain still? Well, so, I mean, this would obviously be into very, very ancient history and probably prehistoric for, like, the origin of music. Well, he said prehistorical. Yeah. So, I don't know how music did originate. And I think that's probably one of the things, uh, from an anthropological standpoint, we can't really know. You know, at what point does it count as music? Is Is tapping your foot making a noise that's that's music and he's indicating that it's like well they created basically a horn of some kind and i i don't know when the earliest horns could have been developed for musical purposes or or even for non-musical purposes i don't know if 
they would have been developed initially for musical purposes. It could have been uh, for for signaling, for utilitarian purposes. And he's indicating it's like, they got bored, so they made music. Which I, I think is fine. But it, it, there's no real foundation for it. it. It sounds like the sort of thing a comedian who has a prop is just developing on the spot. I, I definitely think there's a thing where... Uh... Well, first off, I, I I I think Scuttle probably has had an uncle that was even more off his rocker than him, just sharing these stories. <laughs> a little bit of whisper down the aisle, where uh, whisper down the lane rather, where just there were all these crazy birds telling the next crazy bird this story, and this is the the crazy bird story we end with. Uh, I I would love to know how much of this was scripted. Buddy Hackett, very, very uh, uh, gifted comedian uh, and a, a good thinking on his feet comedian. So it would be pretty funny. It's like, uh, we're just going to let Buddy come up with the craziest stuff as humanly possible for this, and then we're going to draw it. Um, you know, very much what they did with uh, Robin Williams with Aladdin, but to a much greater degree. Yeah, so they, they may have been testing that method uh, in this case. And it, based on the description that he gives, it sounds impossible that someone other than a comedian like Buddy Hackett could have written out this uh, little monologue about the snarf blat. It sounds exactly like the sort of thing he would have come up with sort of on the spot. He's like, give me a second to think. And and then he just performed this sequence and then they had to animate around it, which it's great animation around it with the, with the rolling eyes and everything. Right. And we were talking about how it was like we, last week with our, with our guest, uh, we were talking about the Dingle Hopper and how they prob- probably or possibly just gave him a fork and said, just do something, make it something about hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not entirely sure if if that was the case, but most likely that is probably what happened, even here with the Snarf Blat. Yeah, it, it, it definitely feels like that. And then maybe they added the the stuff coming out of it at the end as part of a joke. Also... It's tricky because maybe they did have to write it because this one actually involves music, which is the cue that reminds Ariel that she is missing the concert she's supposed to be at. And so, I don't know, maybe they said, uh, here's this, make it something about music, that's all, we just need it to to jog her memory. Or something that reminds Ariel of music, or something like that, I don't know. Yeah, so I guess there's a few options, or, or they just worked around it, we'll find some sort of segue so she thinks about it. Well, I know uh, really good improvers are sort of yeah, excellent at being given that param- parameter. So it's like, okay, here's the three bullet points we need you to hit, and this is how we need you to, to go out. So here's the first line. Here's the last line. Have a party. And when you have someone as good as that, you know, the really excellent and the old-timey excellent improvers, um, the Buddy Hackett, Sid Caesar, um, you know, you, you could feel safe. It's like, all right, they'll, they'll get us there. And you have the advantage with animation where you're just recording the voice work. It's like, it's not like you have to go live with the first take you get. It's like, somewhere there's a vault with a thousand different takes of this scene with Buddy Hackett probably going uh, really, really in crazy directions. Probably a lot of them not safe for children to listen to. <laughs> They, they, this is exactly the sort of thing they should add to DVD special features. Yes. But then again, who knows how many are, are even safe. Yeah, exactly. Well, there was um, the people who uh, have watched 
the one thing I really remember about Buddy Hackett when I was talking about him being uh, so great on the Johnny Carson show is he told the Roche uh, man Bo joke. Are you guys familiar with this? They did it on South Park years ago. I'm not familiar with it. Neither am I. It, and the the whole bit was, and it was a long five minute uh, thing where he two guys were arguing over who shot a duck, and the one guy suggested, "Well, let's do Rochambeau." And what is that? And it's like, well, that's when we kick each other between the legs, and the first one to give up uh, loses. And then Buddy Hackett just does this incredible rolling around where he example the first guy getting kicked between the legs and you know screaming and just this hilarious bit. And then the guy who just got kicked stands up and kick. Okay, now it's my turn. And the other guy's like, Oh, you can have the duck. And <laughs> if you have a chance, find it on YouTube. It's very funny, and it shows where. There was not a curse word uttered, but it was definitely an adult concept, and it's something that, again, they use on South Park 20, 30 years later after he did it on Carson. And uh, what always reminds me of that is I uh, I volunteered at a local elementary school once, and uh, part of my job was to uh, watch the kids during recess, and then the the person in charge of the volunteers is like, hey, by the way, uh, if the kids argue, we do Rochambeau to settle the argument. I just <laughs> turned to him and was like, do you uh, do you know what that is? And they explained, it's like, oh, yes, rock, paper, scissors. Except for, instead of saying rock, paper, scissors, you say Rochambeau. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that isn't what that means. And I'm glad we settled this before I start kicking kids between the legs, because uh, that would probably upset That wouldn't have worked well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so I suspect he was able to work within uh, the parameters that they gave him and, and cue music somehow so that she can remember. And she does remember. This image, I think, has made it into a meme <laughs> that goes around some, some Disney Facebook pages. Um, oh, oh yeah. The, 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 Scuttle is memed like crazy. I think I remember seeing him like with the hair popping out all over the place several mm-hmm. times. Yeah, so it's easy. It's easy to to get stuff from from that. But also um, Ariel's reaction when she realizes she's missed the concert, uh, it has like this this internal frustration, uh, which I think is. I don't know how to how to express it exactly, but it's a wonderful animation of a very human emotion in a way that like I know exactly what she's feeling, even if I can't describe what it is or or when I've felt it. Right. And the meme you're talking about is the the meme where she has glasses and yeah, it's like hipster a glasses. Hipster. It's a um, it's a hipster meme. It's like, ah, oh, I can't do this. It's too mainstream. Like, you don't understand my frustration about this. Yeah. Um but it, so they swim away, and we have this interesting moment where Scuttle is waving goodbye well after they've left, and they said they say thank you, and he, and he says anytime, and then he repeats anytime when he's in this kind of distant shot, and he's obviously isolated on this little island. And I was wondering, is Scuttle an outcast? Like he is not with a flock of seagulls. Is he an outcast? Not in the Broadway musical. So in the Broadway musical, there's like a whole crew of. Right. Of, of uh, seagulls instead of just Scuttle. But, but in this here, film... It makes me feel sad because he's just all alone and he's just like, anytime. But come visit me, anytime. But he doesn't seem sad when he's 
with Ariel and Flounder. And he's, he's obviously happy to be with him. But he was also pretty content before they showed up. Yes. Well, also, during the big uh, epic fight scene at the, at the end, uh, he's with other birds. He's sort of leading the attack on the boat. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if somewhere there's a missing B-plot, something else that needs to be on the extras, of Scuttle sort of being ostracized from the rest of the creatures in the area and sort of, you know, being welcomed back into the fall because he leads this attack or because he helps save Ariel. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it definitely in this scene, he looks like sort of an outcast, but it, 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 there must be a secret a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern plot going on with him uh, being welcomed back into the fold. Yeah, the, like there's something going on, and I feel like they let this scene linger on him enough to suggest like, hey, he is kind of alone, and Ariel and Flounder are some of his best friends. You notice like he was alone before they got there, and he's alone after they leave. And I feel like it's a juxtaposition to the comedy that he was just performing, where you have this, you know, this really, really funny sequence, uh, and you're laughing, and then they they turn just maybe a dash of sadness in at the end. And I think it's a really great way to make all of the emotions work better. It makes the sadness a little more pronounced, but it also makes the comedy that much more enjoyable uh, when you look back on it, because it's like, oh, he is... He's positive and upbeat and comedic, even though there might be this little loneliness to him as well. Right. Uh, and then, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say definitely, and you know, really good comedy. And this is something that bad comedians and bad comedies miss or don't understand. Where the best comedy, there usually is that little hint of sadness or pain underneath, and I think that's the difference between. Uh, 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 George Carlin as opposed to Polly Shore where George Carlin when he would uh, do his comedy there really was um, some real humanity and some real pain and some real hurt underneath the comedy as opposed to Polly Shore where it was just a guy making weasel sounds mm-hmm. yeah I think it's uh, it's like a sophistication to something that you wouldn't think is actually that sophisticated you wouldn't expect comedy to have a need for that kind of emotional resonance, but it really, it makes it so much stronger to have just a a little note that says, Hey, there, there's a deeper world going on here. Uh, speaking of deeper worlds, we, I didn't do that on purpose, but I'm taking it. Uh, Ariel and Scuttle dive into the water and they start swimming home and, uh, they are being watched by two eels. So as they're watching her, her bag disappears. Really? I didn't notice that. I don't like. She had I it at one point. She right? had it at one point. She had it with Scuttle, and she had it when they do- dove, dove in. Back, back into the ocean. But then in the bulbs, as they're merging back together, there's it's just her. It's and just flounder. her and Flounder. There's no bag. Yeah, continue with the error. Well, you know, and it's one of those kind of nude errors where I bet they just did it on purpose, where it's like, I don't feel like drawing a bag around her shoulder for the next couple scenes. We don't need the bag. There's no point in having it. We're just going to get rid of the bag. And I think it's very reasonable because this is a fairly intricate transition that they work in between uh, this scene and the next scene, which is kind of across. It breaks across our minutes uh, where you have you, it starts to focus in on the two wheels. And you see that each of them has uh, a different, like, okay, I don't know how to say this. Each of them has 
a different set of eyes. But it, so one of them has like a light yellow eye and a bright yellow eye, and the other one has the same, but they're opposite eyes. And so then their their two brighter yellow eyes start glowing, and you see Ariel reflected in them, and then it goes the eyes start to come together and the reflection starts to come together. And then the scene behind the eyes changes and the eyes merge into this orb. It like, it's a fairly complex thing that they were probably needing to animate. And so I do not blame them for cutting out one element of it, of that animation. What, what makes their eyes glow? I think the magic. What magic? I don't know, but there's definitely magic going on, and we'll we'll get into it more tomorrow for sure. But there's definitely magic. Because yeah, there's definitely magic, and definitely their their owner, I guess, Ursula, <laughs> their master, their master. She she definitely has some magic, um, as we see later I, on. I think quite a bit. But like, it just it just doesn't seem really plausible, I guess, in in. That their eyes are glowing. Do you think that those are actually eyes, or are they just conduits for the magic observation that Ursula is doing? Like, do you think she replaced their eyes with magic rocks or something? Yeah, I don't know. Because I'm not sure that they're eyes, or or that maybe they've been enchanted and they're modified, and they can't use them as eyes. There's definitely a... uh... It's something to, on the Cosmic Geppetto podcast we refer to sort of as a magic boots solution to it where um, th- there was a great uh, comic book uh, written by Alan Moore uh, called Tom Strong. And there, there was a bad guy they were fighting who had magic boots. And because she had this magic boots, she was able to turn the entire world sideways. And one of the characters is like, wait a minute, how is she able to do that? That doesn't make any sense. And, some, and someone else is like, don't worry, she has magic boots. And he's like, well, what about, it's like, she just has magic boots. Let's just move on to the next thing. <laughs> so they just have magic eyes. Yeah, they just have magic However, eyes. <laughs> I think it's interesting that they also, like through this transition, they kind of indicate that since each one is using one eye to do this, it creates a, a fully realized and and depth perceptive um, projection of what they're seeing for Ursula, uh, which I think works well because they make it a spherical projection. So that depth is necessary. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting thing and it's not the sort of thing I would expect. They could have just shown two glowing eyes and then cut to seeing what they were seeing or shown the reflection in the two glowing eyes and then cut to seeing what's in the reflection. But they made a very complicated, uh, reflection glowing merging sort of transition and i i think they deserve some credit for putting that effort in i think it's it's worthwhile it's one of the things that makes this film stand out it's like they really put a lot of work into this definitely yeah i love this transition and i'm actually uh i'm a fan of floatsam and jetsam the 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 eels in this scene uh when we later this week, just to keep everyone uh, on the edge of their seats, uh, I, I have a, a, a floatsam and jetsam story. Uh, quick, quick teaser. It relates to a, a punk rock show I was at uh, twenty years ago. Okay. Well, we will look forward to that. It'll probably be part of tomorrow's minute. Do you guys have anything else for today? No, I'm good. No, I'm feeling good. Uh, a lot of fun stuff, but uh, more fun stuff to come. And we get Sebastian. Uh, yeah. All right. 
That's all we have for you today. We are part of Dueling Genre. You can find us uh, and many other podcasts at duelinggenre.com. There you will also find a link to a Patreon page where you can support all Dueling Genre productions. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, and our email is DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at the Disney Animation Secret Essential Listener Society. or Dis- Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society. Did I miss the minute part? Yes. Oh. The Disney Animation Minutes Secret Essential Listener Society, or Damsels Group. Our guests can be found... Uh- Go to CosmicGeppetto.com. Uh, we're also on um, uh, iTunes or was it Apple Podcasts? No, they changed the name of it. Yeah, I think um, it's Apple Podcasts now, technically. Apple Podcasts. Uh, subscribe uh, to both uh, the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast and Minute of Darkness. Minute of Darkness, we uh, we completed our run. It was a lot of fun. We had some great guests and a lot of really fun people on there. Uh, it's still up, so you can, you know, take take a couple days and just uh, listen straight through. Have it be your, like, a, a 24-hour project, because uh, it was a really fun podcast. We had a great time doing that. Good. Uh, we want to thank Star Wars Minute for setting up this whole movies by minutes movies by minutes thing uh it's it's been great and we are very uh happy to be a part of this uh, movies by minutes community i guess (laughs) until next time thank you for making us part of your world (laughs) 